Now, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. We've been walking through how it relates to reaching the 7%, which if you do not know about the 7%, 47,000 college students live in Memphis, and that makes up 7% of Memphis' population. So our prayer as a ministry is to reach every single one of them for the gospel, no matter their skin color, no matter what, uh, how much money they have or whether they're popular or whether they're in the sports team or Greek life or band or just a regular college student like me. We want to reach everybody for the gospel. No favoritism. Everybody deserves the gospel. Because all have sinned. And so we want to reach Memphis. And so we've been looking at Nehemiah and seeing how does this apply to the life of a college student in 2021. Now, if you're taking notes, I would love for you to write down the title of tonight. The title of my sermon tonight is Who You're Becoming. As we finish Nehemiah and look at chapter 9, the title is Who You're Becoming. (coughs) College is one of the most pivotal and transformative seasons of life that you will ever have. Every day you are making decisions that will radically change your future. And those decisions are heavy, are they not? (laughs) Amen. It's heavy choosing a degree to study, knowing that you're choosing to do that career highly likely for the rest of your life. That's a heavy decision. It's a heavy decision to choose somebody to marry and spend the rest of your life with. It's not a light decision. It's a heavy decision to choose what church to be a member at, as Faith talked about. It's a heavy decision to to make decisions such as who you're going to disciple or who you're going to pour into. You are making decisions that are going to lead you down a path for the rest of your life. Now, I want you to understand the decisions you make today are shaping who you become tomorrow. The power of decisions. Life is but a series of decisions that we make that lead us down a path. And sometimes we have to look in the mirror and really evaluate who it is that we're becoming. Not just who we are, but who it is that we're becoming. Now, I spent my entire ninth grade summer eating Reese's peanut butter cups and watching MTV music videos. (laughs) It was 2009. The iPod Touch was out, and I had them pulled up on my little iPod Touch. Anybody have an iPod Touch in here? We way too young for that. Okay. Okay. Y'all rocking with me? Y'all remember the iPod Touch, man? Just an iPhone without the calling abilities. But I mean, I, all summer long, I kid you not, I ate Reese's and watched music videos every single night. I had a box underneath my bed, and man, when life got hard, I'd slide that box out, (laughs) grab some Reese's. I'm telling you, I ate so many Reese's that summer, and it was a series of poor decisions. I put on 20 pounds in four months. (laughs) Bro, I'm telling you, it was rough. (laughs) It was rough. The last thing you need is Reese's peanut butter cups underneath your bed, Sam. I'm not lying. It hurt. And when I looked in the mirror after the summer, I didn't like who I was becoming, Ben, (laughs) because I had an issue. I'm telling you, I had a big issue at hand. And the problem was bad decision making. And what's so amazing is I had to work off that weight all fall. See, the decisions I made in the summer affected the entire fall. And what I want you to understand about decision making, here it is. The decisions that you are making in college can have consequences after college. And sometimes you got to look in the mirror and ask, what kind of decisions are you making? Now, I'm not talking about the physical mirror. We don't need to go there tonight. But I want to talk about the spiritual mirror. In fact, Israel, after being confronted with the word last week, is looking in the spiritual mirror tonight, and they honestly do not like what they see. I want to ask you the question, who are you becoming in college? Who are you becoming in college? What daily decisions do you make? Do you make godly decisions or ungodly decisions? The reason why I ate Reese's all summer mainly is because of proximity. (laughs) See, they're close, so it's hard to say no. And a lot of us as believers, we choose sin every single day, and the main reason is proximity. 
We've put sin so close to us that it's hard to say no. Let's be honest. When sin is close, it's hard to say no. When we put sin and temptation as far away from us as we can, oftentimes we find victory. In fact, I wrote this down in my notes. You would have so much more victory over sin if you would get away from the proximity of sin. So much. You would find so much more victory over sin if you would get away from the proximity of sin. Now, what I love about Nehemiah and how we ended is in Nehemiah 8, they get hit with the word and it causes them to do some self-reflection. Do you remember last week when we read all of these scriptures that they would have read and how they, they ran to the word and the word convicted them? Well, now what we see here is they come and they look in the spiritual mirror and what they see is disobedience. They see sinfulness. They see pride. And they don't like what they see in the mirror. And I want to give you my sermon in a sentence. Here it is. Show me the decisions you're making today, and I'll show you the person you're becoming tomorrow. Show me the decisions you're making today, and I'll show you the person you're becoming tomorrow. Now, as we end Nehemiah 1, we're going to see some cool things that trace all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 1 as we look at chapter 9 here. Look with me in chapter 9, starting in verse 1, if you will. It says, Nehemiah 9, verse 1, On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting. We're going to spend a lot of time on that here in a moment. They were wearing sackcloth and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. See, there's some in here who really need to live out James 5, 16. There's many of us in here who have never confessed our sins to the Lord, and to somebody else in our life that we trust. And that's the reason why we haven't found forgiveness yet. Confession, repentance. There has to be a confession. Have you ever in your life had a point where you confessed your sin and repented of your sin? Meaning you told God and you gave it to God. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Christian, has it been too long since you've looked in the spiritual mirror to evaluate yourself? Verse 3, while they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law and the Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Now we're going to look through even more of the verses of chapter 9, but let me go ahead and give you number one. Um, Are you becoming a believer who fasts? First thing I want you to evaluate is, are you becoming a believer who fasts? And I love this because I cannot recall the last time I heard a a sermon on fasting. I know Brother Steve has done them, but fasting is pivotal. In fact, you see it all over the Bible, and you see it right here. The very first thing it says is that they assembled and they were fasting. A lot of us in here have never fasted. A lot of us in here don't know what fasting is. Some of us in here have tried it and failed and don't know what to do. I want to help you tonight. I want to help you, Sam, scripturally what it looks like to really fast because it'll change your life. Now, I love this definition from Robbie Gallaty when he talks about repentance because When it comes to fasting, you have to understand first what it truly means to repent. Look at this definition on the screen with me. Repentance can be defined as a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of that sin, and a sincere commitment to turn from it and walk in obedience to Christ. If you really want to know what the nation of Israel is doing here in this moment, it's this right here. They are broken over their sin, they're renouncing that sin, and they're making a vow, a commitment to turn from that sin. Now, this is the entire nation of Israel repenting. Eva, can you imagine if the city of Memphis was led to this point, Haley? I mean, just for imagine, let me give you some vision. What if the entire city of Memphis became so broken over their sin that there was a a city-wide repenting, a city-wide confession, a city-wide 
revival, not just amongst the 7%, but the entire 93% too. What if you, the college students that live in America, were the spark to reach the 93%? See, we spend so much time talking about the 7%, I think we've forgotten about the 93%. See, it's the 7% that when the 7% gets on fire for Jesus Christ, the 93% get on fire too. It's the college students that go and reach their mom and dads. It's the college students that go and reach their peers. It's the college students that go and reach their professors. Don't tell me it can't happen. If you doubt it, you don't believe how, God, how big God is. If you don't believe that God can use the 7% to bring a revival to the 93%, you don't understand how big the righteous right hand of the Father is. Because he can bring it, and I believe he will. Can you imagine if America experienced what's happening among the Israelites? Can you imagine a nationwide repenting? Some of us, we laugh at the idea because we don't really understand revival and we don't really believe that it can happen. But I believe, I believe that many of you believe. And I love this because how did we get here? How did Nehemiah get to this place where he sees Jerusalem repenting of their sin, broken over their sin? I'll tell you how it happened, Bree. Fasting, prayer, fasting, prayer. And the word was made top priority. In fact, Nehemiah 9 is an answer to the prayer in Nehemiah 1. What I love is, you want to talk about does God answer our prayers, I'll show you one. Nehemiah 9 is an answer to the prayer in Nehemiah 1. I want you to have that in your notes. Let me show you this. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. Matthew, look at this. I love this. I'm turned to it. This is what Nehemiah, let's go back to the beginning. Go back to why not Memphis, Michelle, right here. This is what Nehemiah prayed. It says in verse 4 of chapter 1, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days. Here it is again, fasting and praying. Isn't that fascinating? Fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. Here it is right here, verse 5. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. Look what he says next. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. Nehemiah prays for the repentance of his people in chapter 1, and in chapter 9, he sees that prayer answered. Can you imagine the chills Nehemiah must have had? You do realize that this was a long process. You do realize that before Nehemiah got to see the answer to the prayer, he had to see the opposition to his faith first, right? That before he saw the promised land, if you will, there was a lot of opposition that led up to that. And before you see the answer to your prayers, you might have to endure opposition first. It's been a long time coming for Nehemiah. A lot of people going against him, a lot of people doubting him, a lot of people opposing him, trying to distract him, trying to discourage him. But what he did is, God bless you, he devoted himself to prayer and to fasting. When it appeared there was no hope, Nehemiah did not quit fasting. He did not quit praying. And if you and me don't fast and pray for the city of Memphis, who will? Who will? If you don't fast and pray for your family, who will? If you don't fast and pray for Rhodes College when they go through a loss like this, who will? If you don't fast and pray for your college peers at University of Memphis, who will? If you don't fast and pray for your best friend when they're going through a hard time, who will? Who will stand in the gap and fast and pray when nobody else wants to? Nehemiah decided, hey, I'm going to be different. I'm going to stand in the gap. I want to ask you a question tonight. What prayer were you praying a few months ago that you've given up on? What prayer did you used to pray that you've tossed aside or lost hope on? Is there one? 
Because for me, there's been a lot of prayers along the way that I used to pray that now I take for granted. I'll give you a big one, safety and health. When I was first a believer, man, when I first gave my life to, to, to Jesus and realized how short life is, I used to pray every second for safety and health for me and my family. I mean, PJ, every single time I was out, I was like, Lord, bless my sister, protect her. Lord, bless my family, bless my mom and dad, protect them, keep them safe today. And you know what? The more I've become a believer, I've found myself taking safety and health for granted, and I've stopped praying for it as often, Sean. See, I think a lot of us, we take for granted the blessings of God, so we stop praying for those blessings. Is there a person in your life that you've lost hope on that you've quit praying for? Is it you that you've quit praying for? Is there a sin that you're like, man, I'm never getting out of this one. I'm never getting out of this one, so I'm just going to stop praying about it. I'm just going to let it live with me. I'm going to keep it as a pet, try to keep it on a leash. Is there somebody in your life that does not know the goodness of Jesus Christ that you used to pray for, but since they didn't get saved overnight, you kind of gave up and stopped praying for them? I've been there. Let me tell you something. Nehemiah, from chapter 1 to chapter 9, probably wanted to quit several times. I don't know. But all the opposition he had, I bet it got discouraging. I bet it was hard. But what he did is he kept fasting. He kept praying. He kept telling the enemy, no, I'm not coming down from the wall. The work I'm doing is too important. And let me tell you something. It was never about a wall anyway. It was about the nation repenting of their sins and realizing how good God is and how that changed our lives. Is there a prayer that you've quit praying? Now, when it comes to fasting, fasting is all over Scripture, but it's not all over our lives. To be honest, some of you have been believers far longer than I have. I'm only at five years. Some of you have been at 12, 16 Fasting is all over Scripture. In fact, it's mentioned in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, over 50 times. Yet it's something we rarely practice. It's something we barely understand. In fact, I want to show you when it comes to fasting. This right here. Let's define it. This will be on the screen. You can take a picture of it if you want to. It's a long quote. In the Old Testament, fasting was symbolic of grieving or repenting of sin. In the New Testament era that we live in, fasting is a way to grow closer to God, much like we do through prayer. Fasting, and I love this right here, it's a temporary pause of something that is in itself good, like food, in order, watch this, to intensify our need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. Let me put it to you this way, Reagan. Fasting is letting go of something from this earth so that you can gain more of heaven. Fasting is saying I'm willing to go without, without a earthly need to refocus myself on my spiritual needs. It's you being willing to give up a meal and then replace that time, watch this, with prayer and scripture. And man, listen, I've seen college students eat. I've been all through the UC. I've had college students over to my house. I've seen college students eat, man. Y'all know how they eat. You know where all the best places are. Some of us hate the idea of giving up a meal to replace it with prayer and Bible. And we're like, man, I barely pray and read the Bible in and of itself. How am I going to give up a meal to do it too? Fasting is not for the elite Christians. Fasting is for the hurting Christians. Fasting is not for the top-level Christians. It's for the Christians that are hurting, the Christians that need answers, the Christians that need hope, that need to sense God moving in their lives. It's for you. I don't care if you've been a believer for one minute. Jalen's been doing this for one week, and he can go home, and he can fast. And I'm telling you, God will answer that prayer. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing this. Doesn't matter. And in fact, it's all over Scripture. Before I asked Hannah to be my girlfriend in 2017, I took six weeks. And I tell you this, not to brag about me. I don't care what you you think about me. I care what you think about Jesus Christ. Could care less. But before I ever asked her to be my girlfriend, there was six weeks where I prayed and fasted. 
Six weeks, and I'm not going to tell you the details of it, but for six weeks, you think about that. Some of us can't wait six weeks. Some of us are so ruined by Amazon Prime, we can't imagine waiting six weeks. <laughs> Some of us want everything overnight. I get it. I'm in the same boat. Amazon Prime is nice, man. But before I ever asked her to be my girlfriend, I prayed and fasted for six weeks. Some of us have made so many decisions so quick, we haven't even let God in on the decision-making process. Some of you are going down a path and you don't know if God's leading you down it. Did you start going down that path before God sent you down that path? I prayed and I fasted. Not to look at me, but what I did is I realized as an early believer that who I date is important. And that I need God in on this process. I don't want to make this decision on my own. I need God. The decisions you're making, do you realize how badly you need God involved in that decision-making process? Because some of you are trying to free ball it. Some of y'all are trying to do a free-for-all with your life decision-making, and you're going to find yourself stuck between a rock and a hard place. I fasted. I gave up food. I gave up social media. I gave up worldly aspects and replaced them with prayer and Bible reading. It's not complicated. I had a plan, and I had a purpose. And what you do is you replace that time, and you get in this. And it intensifies your need for God. It intensifies what you want from him. Fasting's all over Scripture. You'll be shocked when you see how many times it's mentioned. I'll give you these. I want you to write these down in your notes. The first one is Nehemiah fasted. Nehemiah 1 verse 4. We saw it just a moment ago. Because he fasted, his people fasted. Nehemiah fasted. Not only that, though, but Moses fasted before getting the Ten Commandments. It says in Exodus 34, 28, you can write down that reference. I'll read it for you. It says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. He wrote down on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Daniel fasted in order to understand a vision. Daniel 10, verse 3, he says, I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. Now, here's a big one that many in the room need. I'm telling you, you need this verse. David fasted when he lost his son and his best friend. So, Moses fasted before getting a huge revelation from God. Daniel fasted in order to gain understanding from God. David fasted when he was hurt and broken. All across this room, we have broken and hurt people. I don't have to go to seminary to sense the hearts in this room and what we are walking through. There are hurt, God bless you, there are hurt and broken people in this room. Some of you have lost family members because of COVID. A year ago this month, my grandmother, we called her Big Mama. She was five foot two. <laughs> Sweetest woman you would ever meet. She led a walking club at her retirement home. Faithfully, I think 6 a.m. My mom's watching. Probably 6 a.m. in the morning, they would go walking. And a year ago, we got the call that my big mama was in a hospital because of COVID. And she didn't make it. She passed away. We celebrated because she knew the Lord. But even in that, there's still grief with loss, is there not? And there's people in here who are going through hurt and pain. Maybe you've lost a loved one to COVID. Maybe you've lost a best friend to betrayal. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe you're hurting tonight. Maybe your family, maybe your parents are on the verge of divorce. Maybe you came in those doors tonight and you're discouraged because you don't know what a godly marriage looks like. You don't know what a good marriage looks like because all you've grown up in is a marriage where you see them fighting over finances. You see them fighting and bickering. They go to church on Sundays, but they don't live it out during the week, and that has caused you to have pain and hurt, and you don't know what to do with it. College student, 
fast, and pray. Hear this verse. When David lost his son, when David lost his best friend, it says this. They mourned, wept, and fasted until the evening for those who died by the sword. For Saul, his son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel. Are you hurt tonight? Are you tired tonight? Are you burnt out tonight? For some of you, the biggest action step you need is to go home and sit at the feet of Jesus. Get your phone as far away from you as possible. Sell it on eBay if you have to. Go sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. I can, I can tell you this. There is great reconciliation and restoration at the feet of Jesus that you won't find anywhere else. If you're hurt, you don't need a self-help book. If you're hurt, you need God's word. You need prayer and you need fasting if you're hurt fast. Not only that, though, the early church fasted when appointing leaders and elders when enduring trials. Big decisions. Who's going to be a leader? Who's going to be an elder? We're going through a trial. What do we do? Acts 13, verses 2 to 3. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Isn't it amazing, Seth, how obviously fasting is all over Scripture, but it's not all over our lives? Isn't that crazy? When you start looking at Scripture, you see it everywhere. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, don't miss that. It was after their fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. Some of you want to hear from God. What if he's calling you to fast before you truly hear from him? What if, I don't know, but what if God's asking you to give up something from this world for a moment in time so that you can clear yourself to hear better from God, whether it be a meal or social media or TV or YouTube or TikTok or whatever it is for you, I don't know. What if he has a word from you, but he's asking you to give up something first? It goes on to say, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They were praying for a decision. God gave them the decision. God gave them the answer. But Kendall, they had to fast. They had to pray. They had to seek God. It's clear. I'm telling you. Then after, it says it again, verse 3. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Avery, we make it rocket science. Living out the Christian life is not rocket science, guys. I'm telling you. It, it, it is walking with your creator every single day and letting him shape and mold you to be the person he's called you to be, which is the image of Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life. And some of you came in tonight so discouraged, and I hate that for you because God is a God of encouragement, and he's trying to encourage you that you are not far from him, as faith said. You are not far from God. Draw near to God, and God will what? Draw near to you. God is not far from you. Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. But even bigger than that, though, Jesus fasted when tempted by Satan. Jesus fasted when tempted by Satan. Luke 4, verse 1 and 2, Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. But let me give you a big warning, though. Fasting is not for the praise of people. Being on stage for worship is not for the praise of people. Preaching sermons is not for the praise of people. Getting baptized is not for the praise of people. Memorizing scripture is not for the praise of people. And fasting is not for the praise of people either. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Whenever you fast, will, not if, but when, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. 
for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And look at this. And your father who sees in secret will reward you, Ethan. Isn't that incredible? Straight from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Fasting and prayer moves the hand of God in your life. Fasting moves God's hand. So what do you do? You make a plan and you have a purpose. You don't just random it. You don't free ball it. What you do is you make a plan and you make a purpose. You say, I'm going to fast at this time. Here's what I'm going to do instead of eating. And here's my purpose for fasting. I have fasted over many decisions. Marriage, I have fasted over career calling. I have fasted for people to come to know Jesus. I have fasted. I don't tell you that. I don't tell you when or how long. So that you'll praise me, I'm telling you. But what I am telling you is this. I am a satisfied customer. I have seen fasting move the hand of God in ways I can't explain. It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm telling you. I want to give you this here. Prayer and fasting can be the difference between living out your will or God's will. Prayer and fasting can be the difference between living out your will and living out God's will. You want to see God move. You want to see God show up in a powerful way and answer prayers fast and pray. But not only that, verse 2 says, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the inequities of their father. Number two, a believer who looks different than the world. Not only a believer who fasts, but number two, are you becoming a believer who looks different than the world? In this place here at The View, we preach the gospel. We preach straight from the word. And we are desiring to love the world but be different than the world. To be set apart, Rachel, and to be different than the world. To be God's people. A big issue that Israel had was marrying people who didn't worship the true God. And understand this, when God's people married those who didn't worship the true God, they found themselves paying worshiping idols. They turned from the true God and decided to start worshiping idols. And this was a big deal for the nation of Israel. And what we see here is that they separate themselves from the foreigners in the land. Understand this, the foreigners in the land were not broken over their sin yet because they didn't know the true God yet. Colin, you can't be broken over your sin until you see the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. So some of you are here tonight. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's be real. You're not a believer or you don't know if you're a believer. And you're hearing this stuff about fasting and prayer and you don't know where to go with this. My question for you is, do you truly know Jesus as your personal Savior? Because that's a big deal. A big reason why people who are lost don't want anything to do with Christianity is because they look at Christians and Christians don't look any different than the world. Elizabeth, if I can be honest with you, a big reason why is because believers are not set apart enough. Me and Hannah, one of my favorite things to do is date nights. I love date nights. I love going to Huey's. Any Huey's fans in here? Amen? Few. A few. It's all right. I love Frida's. Anybody go to Frida's? Amen? My goodness gracious, man. I'll tell you what, a little bit. Man, Memphis Mojo? Yeah. There's one. I think what Rui said, hey, <laughs> went there today. Me and Hannah, one thing we did on Friday night, we went camping. Oh, yeah. There's nothing outdoorsy about me at all. <laughs> I'm be honest with you, Rachel. I couldn't be any more city. <laughs> and I realized that when I tried to go camping. Now, I want to be honest with you, though. Let me tell you the truth. We didn't actually go camping. <laughs> so what we did is a little bit different, a little unorthodox. 
I don't know if you know you could do this or not, but there's like a Airbnb camping type thing. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of this. I wanted the experience. I just didn't want the trials. You know what I mean? And like what you could do is you could rent. I'm, I'm dead serious. You can do this. It, was all, it wasn't expensive. You can rent like a tent to go camping in. And uh, I was thinking about going camping. I was like, man, I don't know. I was talking to my hair lady. I was like, I don't know. You know, they were going to do it. And I was like, man, it'd be fun. I want my wife to know I'm adventurous. I was like, okay, we'll go camping. And, and I was like, I guess we can suffer through it, you know. And I started looking at the pictures. I was like, oh, okay, this wouldn't be too bad. So the tent had air conditioning. <laughs> uh, I'm not lying. I'm serious. Had an AC box in it. And I put it on 60. It was nice. Had string lights inside. It was on a wooden platform. It wasn't camping. <laughs> but it was as close to camping as you could get without, like, the actual camping experience. And I'm telling you, man, when I'm, I am so, like, not good with the outdoors, like, this tent's already got AC and string lights. I zipped it up, looked up, saw three bugs, and shrieked. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be in here. This is camping. And my wife was like, Daniel, we are camping. <laughs> and uh, got a fire started after, like, an hour. <laughs> Bro, I was like, man, people used to do this all the time. <laughs> I was like... I can imagine. But I tell you this, I tell you for a reason, man. We, I wanted to camp, but I didn't want to give up the luxuries that I had, such as AC and string lights, and <laughs> the tent had a bed in it. So you're not even sleeping on the ground like you have a bed, and it was like Tempur-Pedic stuff, too. I mean, it was nice. Like, it's comfortable. I'm telling you, I wanted the camping experience, but I didn't want to give up the luxuries that I loved so much. And the reason why I tell you that, man, is because there's a lot of believers who want to live the Christian life, but they don't want to give up the luxuries of the sin they love so much. John, what I mean is, I went camping, but it was pretend camping because I avoided all the hardships that come with it. And some of us as believers want to follow Christ. We just want to avoid all the hardships that come with it. If I could, let's be real. We want Jesus. We want to get into heaven. We want our past. But we also want all this sin and baggage. We want to hold on to it too. We want to be loved by the world and loved by God. Even though Jesus has said, if you love me, the world will hate you because the world hated me before it hated you. We got believers in here, and I'm one of them. I'm guilty of it. We want Jesus. We want the experience of knowing God, but we don't want to give up our comfort zone. See, the great thing about that camping for me is I never had to leave my comfort zone. Multiple quilts, a bed, AC, string lights. A restaurant, we had reservations at the restaurant on site. <laughs> we didn't even roast the hot dogs because we had reservations. I'm eating out of a wing basket. Like, man, I like camping. <laughs> this is nice. We can do this every weekend. <laughs> and some of us, man, that's what we think the Christian life is, that we can have Jesus but not go through trials, not go through hardships, not suffer, even though we are promised to suffer for the name of Jesus. So, Tyler, do we look any different than the world? Are we truly set apart or are we doing a pretend religion thing here? Are we just going through the motions, man? Are we fake camping? Because, <laughs> man, to be honest, if we don't look different than the world, the world's never going to want to come and have Jesus Christ for itself. Do you look? Let me ask you a harder question. What did you give up to follow Jesus Christ? Did you give up anything? I'm not getting on to you. I know we got first-time guests in the room. I'm not mad. But I'm asking you, when you chose Jesus, did you sacrifice anything? Or do you look the exact same as when you chose Jesus? I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But what I am saying, if before you had Jesus, gossip ruled your life, and now you have Jesus and gossip still rules your life, what did you give up to have Jesus? If you continually got drunk before Jesus and now you have Jesus and you still go out and get drunk every weekend, what did you sacrifice to have Jesus? 
if you and I didn't give up anything for Jesus, even though he gave up his life on the cross for you and me, did we really accept the Jesus of the Bible? I'm not mad at you, but I got to preach what Scripture says. And Scripture says that when you truly know Jesus, there's a change. There's a shift in your life. You don't turn perfect, but let me tell you something. There's some things you let go of. There's some things you give up, and you start to look different than the world. For me, the minute I got saved, cursing, gone, out the window. Because I realized if I'm going to tell my basketball players when I was coaching and quote Romans 6.23 all day long to them for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, and then curse with the same mouth, I didn't give up anything to have Jesus Christ. And some of you, your speech is the exact same after Jesus as it was before Jesus. Do you look any different in the world? I'm in the same boat. If we haven't given up anything to have Jesus, do we really have Jesus? And I tell you that because the Christian life, the real Christian life, is so much better than fake camping anyway. Because you get to know your creator through the trials, through the battles, through the storms, and he's just as faithful. Watch this. He's just as faithful in the valleys as he is the mountaintops. So you tell me, D-Will, do you look any different than the world? Do I look any different than the world? We have to ask those questions. In fact, I love this verse as the Israelites separate themselves from the people. I love this verse right here. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's amazing because Jesus didn't die just to give you the Christian title. He died to give you life change. But some of us have accepted a title change. Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16. You are the light of the world, believer. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do you shine in this world, not for your sake, but for Jesus Christ's sake? Are you any different? And then when we do face trials, 1 Peter 3 is a great comfort says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, and having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered for your good behavior in Christ, those who revile you will be put to shame. I know that's not the version on the screen. That's the version I memorized five years ago. When you are criticized for the name of Jesus, you will be blessed. Do you and I look any different than the world? Because what's crazy is the world wants us to. Lost people want us to truly live this out. They want to see something different about us. I'm telling you as a former lost person, and just as everybody in here was lost at one point, when I was lost at 21 years old, just like Faith was, living up the college scene, doing whatever I wanted to do, what changed my life was when I saw believers here at The View actually living it out. I said, man, i got to have some of that right there. But not only that, look with me here in Nehemiah chapter 9, and then we're going to wrap it up here. I have, I'm going to give you point three. I have two more points to this. I might give it to you next week. I'm not going to give it to you tonight because I want to be respectful of your time, but I'm going to give you this last one here. I'm going to give you point number three. A believer who knows they are seen and heard. Are you becoming a believer who knows that you are seen and heard? Let's recap for a minute. 
Number one, a believer who fasts. Number two, a believer who looks different than the world. But number three, a believer who knows that they are seen and heard. And this comes straight from Nehemiah. Look with me, if you will, starting in verse 5. Stand up. Blessed be the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Look at what they pray here in verse 6. You, Lord, are the only God. Your sports team cannot be your God because your sports team will not last forever unless you play golf. Your family cannot be your God because your family will die at some point. Your family cannot sit on the throne that's only meant for God. Your family will fail you at some point. Your mom and dad will fail you at some point. Your God cannot be this church or this ministry because this ministry and your pastor will fail you. You can't put me, you can't put this ministry on the throne. Only God deserves to be there. The only God is the true God. That for thousands of years, nobody has been able to disprove. And he's been working on your heart for quite a long time. Do you know that? They confess. They say, hey, you're the true God. You're the only God. And then I love this verse 6. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and all the stars of heaven worship you. Look at verse, 10, verse 9. It says, you saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You saw and you heard. And then I want to give you, skip over to verse 30 and 31. I wish I had more time, but God changed the course of tonight, and I am perfectly fine with that. Verse 30 and 31, you were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them for you are a gracious God. You are a compassionate God. Students, your God is compassionate. Your God is gracious. Your God is wanting to forgive you. Your God is wanting to restore you. I don't know what it is for you tonight. You do, but I want to tell you, God knows. And if you come to him, he will restore you. Part of my job is I go out to restaurants a lot for lunch. I've been eating at home with my wife for dinners a lot, but I've been eating out at lunch with college students. I like to go to places, and I like, to, I like to hang out with college students, just to be honest with you. I like to hang out with college students. I like to spend time with college students. I like college students. That's why I'm a college pastor. In fact, I love college students, and I love you. And some of you, it's your first time, and I don't know you yet. But I love this ministry, and I love college students. I believe that every person in here, if you let God get a hold of you, you can change this city through his power. And that's why I love spending time with you because I'm, I'm praying that you will see the potential you have through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to reach your peers. When I go out to restaurants, though, I watch people. Sometimes I get there early. A lot of times I get there late as well. Y'all know what that's about, though. And sometimes I get there early and I'll look around at the other people that are eating at the restaurant. And the other day I was sitting at lunch and I got there early and I was looking around and I saw this couple, young married couple. And uh, I was watching the man, the guy, maybe 26, 27, my age, was talking to his wife or girlfriend, whatever, and the entire time he was talking, maybe he was talking about his day, maybe he was talking about his trials, maybe he was talking about whatever was going on, the entire time that he was talking, she didn't look up from her phone one time. And I watched his face as he get, got discouraged but didn't want to tell her because why make it an issue? So he just kind of dropped his head and it stayed quiet for a while. 
Not feeling seen or heard hurts, doesn't it? I've watched grandparents take their grandchildren out to lunch. And I've watched the grandparents talk and ask questions and so desperately want to get to know their grandkids, but the grandkids can't put the iPad down. And they ignore their grandparents and they don't talk to them. And it's because those grandkids don't understand how short of time they're actually going to have their grandparents for. I've seen grandparents discouraged over that. I've been that kid that didn't listen to my mom or dad, didn't talk to them. It hurts when you're not seen and you're not heard. And I want to tell you, people in your life will make you feel unseen and unheard. It's because we're sinful people. You cannot depend on people to make you know that you are seen and heard. You have to be mature enough to understand that the creator of the heavens and the earth both sees you and hears you every day. If you knew the value of having the attention of God, you would never worship the attention of people. But to be honest, some of us don't understand the power that there is a God above the heavens and the earth that sees us with his eyes, hears us with his ears, and inclines his ear to listen to us and wants to know your story, wants to talk to you. Your God wants you. He will listen to you. He will see you in your pit. He will see you in your battle. He sees you in your insecurities. He sees you in your fears. And he loves you. There are friends in your life who, if they knew everything about you, wouldn't want anything to do with you. God knows every sin you've ever committed and still wants all of you. Why would you turn that down? Why would you say no to that? I'll give you these, and then I'm going to give you an invitation to respond tonight. Psalm 33, verse 18. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love. The band is going to make their way back out here. And I want you to write these down as I give you these, though. Psalm 33, 18. But look, the Lord keeps his eyes on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love. I love this one, Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Some of you tonight need to go home and cry. But not cry over your emotions, not cry to the world. You need to go home, and you need to cry to the Lord. You need to fast, you need to pray, and you need to let him restore you. I love 1 Peter 3.12. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their requests. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then one of my favorite passages of scripture. To end the 7%. To end Nehemiah. I believe God truly sees you. And he sees the city of Memphis. And he is preparing to do a work in this city. Psalm 66 verses 17 to 20. I cried out to him with my mouth, and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God has listened. He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God, he has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me.